This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 101 for Monday, 5th of August, 2018. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's returning guest host is Cam Smith. Welcome back, Cam. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, everyone. Well, given that you have that Taking the Piss Out of Conspiracies type podcast, I figured that I should have you back for episode 101, the most sinister of all podcast episodes. Mm. I mean, it's particularly sinister because it suggests that we're going to keep going after episode 100, and we didn't just decide to stop at that point. So, I mean, that's pretty terrifying. It is. It's all unknown territory from here, isn't it? Didn't you stop your other podcast at 100 episodes? No, 200. So oh, right. 100 was is only a half wonky. <laughs> I mean, I assume that's how... Because you, the podcast you do with uh, with Ben, the Gather Around Me, you're up to like, what, 300 and something by now, aren't you? Yeah, 370 maybe. You just kept going. We're going for 1,000 though. We're going for a ton. So basically your idea is that instead of doing a podcast for a little while, then stopping it and starting an entirely new podcast on remarkably similar grounds, you'll just keep going with the one podcast and just gradually build it. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. It's worth a shot. I have some bad news. Mm. Uh, we're going to have to talk about depressing stuff this week. Oh, really? That's a nice change. <laughs> Do you remember that one week that we had a discussion about Australian politics and it was all uplifting and positive? No, I don't actually remember that week. I may have, maybe I dreamt it. Imagine. There is a lot to talk about in relation to a subject that we I thought we'd thrashed into the ground last week, being, hey, it's time to raise new start, let's do something about that. Uh, but then this week is really, and I think I'll call this episode, The Employer Advocates Strike Back. They did strike back. They, they came in hard. They did. So the one bit of good news we had last week was it looked like even, even from the government's backbench, there was some pressure to start, you know, moving new start up towards a survivable wage as opposed to the $135 a week less than the poverty line that it currently is. And even Barnaby, Barnaby Joyce, was on board, apparently. I mean, the most radical proposal being put out there is by the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, who are asking for it to be brought up to the poverty line. What? Which is still poverty. Yes. Let's get to that. But I just wanted to mention that we have a bit more information about the Barnaby thing now. And it's not just that uh, when people criticised him for coming out, the, the bit on the front page of the Courier Mail where he's like, I understand because I'm flat broke on my 211000 a year. Anyway, people criticised him for that and mocked him that like, if you can't budget on that amount of money, then what hope the rest of us? Um, kind of missing the point that he was you know, actually supporting uh, a race new start there. Except that now because he's got attacked for it, he's now gone, well, I can't do it then. But the main problem that we didn't realise last week, of course, is that the Nats want it to all go through Indu. So it's not so they're happy for there to be an increase because Indu is owned by one of their mates, mm. and the cash and that card, which highly dodgy, not, not not just the fundamental idea, even if it worked as it's supposed to, of controlling the way poor people spend their limited resources, is incredibly patronising and offensive and obnoxious. 
but also that it often doesn't work. It's not a you know finance company. It's a private company, and they can screw up your payments. They can. It's this additional barrier which makes things very hard for the very poor. Yeah. But yeah, so that's why. So yeah, some Nats supporting an increase. Uh, the bit that we'd missed was yeah, because they wanted to go through Indu, which would be even if there was a small increase, forcing everything through Indu would be actually a step backwards. Yeah, and it would be massively beneficial to their friends. <laughs> but I guess the biggest thing that we've... I mean, we anticipated that there would be a pushback. Of course there was going to be a pushback. Mm. The, the, the Libs weren't going to suddenly raise Newstart. The only way they will ever do it is if they are forced to because not raising it turns out to be harder than leaving it as it is. Mm. And the only way that will happen is if there is sufficient public pressure. And the government is convinced that the standard methods of demonising people who receive Newstart will work and that they can get the public behind them to have you know, monstrous indifference to the suffering of poor people because that's always served them in the past. Mm. They might not be wrong either. Well, let's let's have a look at some of the ways they've done that. But, but uh, just, just before we do that, I just wanted to highlight that one of the reasons why we know that the Conservatives are never going to do anything like this except if they're forced to do it, um, it's not to do with... Whether the budget can handle it, um, because it does, there is no amount of money that the budget could be ahead on that they would support increasing Newstart, and it's for two reasons I would say. One is that the entire justification that the rich and wealthy have for their privilege is that they convince themselves that the poor are bad people who deserve poverty. It's the basis on which they justify their privilege, like because if the poor are not bad people who deserve their poverty, then wait a minute, why do I have all this privilege and why are they suffering so badly? So it's like this huge incentive in, in the conservative mindset to think as badly as possible of the poor. And so they, they just spend their lives in you know taking in that whatever pieces of prejudice they can about poor people being undeserving and shit and lazy and, and um, making poor decisions and just generally deserving every bad thing that happens to them. And that's just like this reinforcing thing. And the second part of it is that it is massively in the interests of them and their class and their supporters, as in employers... For all the people who are unable to find work to be squabbling amongst themselves for the tiny amounts of work that are available, pulling down wages and conditions, fighting with the people at the bottom of the the you know of the working class, you start being a starvation wage means that you, people can't stand up to their employers and say, yeah, no, those wages and conditions are shit. I'm they're not livable, and I'm going to I, I'd be better off to go and survive and you start and retrain or something. Employers don't want that. People employers want people to know that their alternative is death. So. Those two things are why they are never going to do anything about it beyond what they absolutely are forced to do by the rest of us going, no, starving the poor is fucked. Yeah. And and also, we realise, finally, finally, we realise that actually it harms the rest of us. It doesn't just harm the poor, it pulls all of our wages and conditions down. Precisely. That was my opening rant. Yes. I, I know people have criticised this podcast for being a bit too much of me ranting and then people at the other end going... Mm. Sure, Jeremy. Yes, okay. Good point, Jeremy. <laughs> so I will shut up for a moment. Before I start playing you all of the audio grabs that I've got this week from a horrifying week of the political and media class doing their best to try and push back on any kind of momentum to help people on Newstart, I will shut up and let you... It is a good point, though. I mean, you only have to look at Scott Morrison and the, the comments about, uh, was it, unfunded empathy. Mr Speaker, I will not engage in the unfunded empathy of the Labor Party, Mr Speaker. Yeah, it's a mindset, is what it is. To be fair to Scott Morrison, though, he was quoting uh, that bit in the Gospels where Jesus talks about empathy being limited by how much you can fund it. Yes, of course. 
But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a way of thinking that it's very hard to break out of, I imagine, for these people. And so I wouldn't expect them to. It's almost like that's a... Um, a, it's like a, a third tier justification after the other two because the other two are the fundamental bases that underline everything and the, but they're kind of unconscious and the conscious aspect is well there's only so much money to go around it's a matter of priorities in fact here's Scott Morrison saying if Labor Party thinks it should be increased well tell us how much and how you're going to pay for it and what you're going to change just be honest with people I am and the problem with that, of course, is that it would be really easy for Labor to say how they were going to pay for it if Labor hadn't just gone and rolled over on the giant $158 billion mm. of tax cuts. Yeah, you could say we'll pay for it with um, taxpayers' money uh, the same way we pay for everything as a, as a government. There's only one way that we have to pay for things. And you'll notice the staggering hypocrisy of, of Morrison saying that when he didn't justify how he was going to pay for $158 billion of tax cuts. <laughs> Does anybody have an explanation? Because he says he's not going to cut any services either, so... Magic! Apparently, apparently, all the previous governments were unaware that there was $158 billion down behind the couch yeah. that they could just give out without any consequences at all. Like, this idea that, oh, well, Labor is uh, offering money that they don't have from anywhere, from a person who's just given away $158 billion, he won't say where it's coming from, is incredibly rich. Yeah. And, of course, we've talked many times about the way that the... Uh, left and the political left so the ALP and the Greens should respond every time the government's about to give away tax cuts which is no no here's what we could spend that money on instead so that when they then say oh we can't afford it it's at the same time rather than like two weeks after you've just voted for their tax cuts it's at the same time and you're like no no here's what else we could do with it but I mean there's a really obvious thing that Labor could come back with which is yeah that that cash rort where we give taxpayer money to people who are rich enough to own shares um, that thing that could pay for it and, like, that's $6 billion a year and climbing. To raise it by $75 a week is only $3 billion a year. Like, it's half the cost of that raw. You can still pay them half their franking credits. <laughs> or we can oh. put that $3 billion, the, the, the difference, into something that's also constructive. Oh, this is true. And uh, the fact that the franking credit thing is still, Labor still hasn't been able to explain to people why that's a raw and argue, hey, um... If you weren't aware of it before the last election, it's because you're not benefiting from it. You're giving that money to those rich people. Mm. Like, how is Labor not able to run that argument? How are they still failing to make that point? How are there all these people thinking that Labor's coming after them somehow? How are retirees still thinking they can go down to Central and get their franking credits? Like, how is it that Labor has been so dumb that they can't sell the ending this route? Mm. Anyway, this, this is the thing we were saying when they voted for the tax cuts. You're now going to be unable to argue for what you could have done with that money instead because you voted for the tax cuts. Yeah. Now... The other thing with the Libs and raising Newstart is, yes, of course, it's not going to be able to be done without extreme public pressure. But the other thing is they're not going to be able to do it unless they can wrap in some other awful thing like a cashless debit. Or drug testing. So that's their other one from this week. So Indue and drug testing. So they're actually threatening that the changes they're going to make are all the bad ones. It's kind of like, oh, you wanted us to pay attention to Newstart. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? Because watch was we make it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my evil laugh is peaking. I need to work on it. <laughs> the evil laugh's even worse with the video because you look quite evil when you do it. To be fair, I looked quite evil before I was doing it. Like it's you know that's a this consistent th- follow through the whole way through. Uh, I don't know actually why. Wait a minute. I think I can massively improve your comfort with this podcast by switching off the video so you can't see me. Is that better? I can still see you. It's the magic of radio, Cam. I was pretending that I'd switched off my evil visage. Ah, uh, fair enough. You're supposed to play along and be like, oh, that's more relief. Uh, that's that's better. Oh, thank goodness for that. Hang on. Watch this. 
Ah, that's better. Smooth. What do you reckon? Mm. What would you put as the odds that I've actually deleted that whole section and edited it out so it was a smooth bit where you were coming in saying, ah, that's better, as opposed to the odds that I've just left all of that in? I don't know. It's 50-50, I think. Only the listeners know which is true. Hmm. Except by the fact that this bit of audio is in there, obviously it was true because otherwise it would make no sense. That's true. All right. All right, well, let's start playing some of the other hideous audio. I mean, obviously, the, 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 where we've been left at the end of all of this is that Scott Morrison has said, no, I'm not going to raise it, so it's all over. Stop talking about it. Hey, Mark. G'day, Pierre. Sitting down with Seven News. Thanks, Mark. Scott Morrison reveals the campaign to increase New Start is doomed to failure. I'm not going to lead people on about this. I'm just going to be... If, if you ask me, are we increasing New Start? Well, the answer is no, we're not. And apparently he thinks that that's enough because, of course, if a, go- if a prime minister doesn't want to talk about something anymore, then the media are honour-bound to shut up about it from now on. Yeah. I'm, I'm joking there because they're not, except that uh, I'm also only bitterly joking about it because clearly they have decided to drop the subject now. Yes. The campaign to increase New Start is doomed to failure. What? But before he did that, they didn't drop the subject. They tried very hard to run some of the government's lines. And, and in fact, actually, to be fair... Uh, even this morning, the Australian is out there still talking about the subject. And I don't know if you've seen this. So this isn't a bit of audio. This is I, I'm going to read to you a story from this morning's Oz. Are you, are you ready for this? I'm ready. This isn't going to put me to sleep, is it? It's not a bedtime story. No, it's actually a nightmarish story, Cam. It's a, it's a story that is going to uh, make you sad. No sweet dreams here. All right, go ahead. So the story is variously called... Job snobs causing havoc, according to the Oz's Twitter feed, or job snobs are leaving bosses in the lurch. And you'll note that the job snobs part in that headline is not in quotes. The are leaving bosses in the lurch bit is in quotes. So, this is their their effort. And this all follows uh, what we'll play shortly about um, Channel 7 and their, their doll bludgers smears from earlier in the week. But this is the government's most recent drop as we record this on Monday afternoon. Job seekers are actively snubbing work opportunities with thousands of Australian businesses saying they are struggling to recruit new staff, forcing them to extend hours for existing employees and putting profits and services at risk. Now, this is about research by the Department of Employment. They've got a photograph at the top of this story of Rory Fitzpatrick, manager at Eliza Food and Wine in Darlinghurst, Sydney, uh, with the quote under the picture being, finding good staff is really, really hard at the moment. Let's, let's drop down to the section about, about Rory. Uh, and see what he says. Eliza Food and Wine Manager Rory Fitzpatrick said he often had to sift through stacks of resumes at his inner Sydney restaurant in Darlinghurst to find, quote, the golden one, end quote. At the moment, we're hiring and it is difficult to get the right staff. There are staff around, but it's just about finding good staff, which is really, really hard at the moment, end quote, he said. Finding qualified employees with adequate experience and training was a challenge, he said. Cam... Mm. When employers have stacks of resumes but are refusing to hire those people because they only want to find, quote, the golden one, is it the job seekers or the employers who are being the snobs there? Indeed, a very good question, Jeremy. I think you'll find it as the employers. Is it? (laughs) I know there's another example in this article. Uh, Sydney-based CRG plumbing and maintenance owners Renee and Cameron Garcia said prospective employees expected too much in terms of hourly rate and were not willing to put in the hard work. They've been searching for six months for the right employee. 
uh, and and people it's because people who have experience are coming from an, uh, from construction where they're earning a certain rate, and the this employer won't pay them the rate they can get elsewhere. I mean, this is why the free market must be crushed. The liberals are right. The free market people, employees want too much money in the free market. They must be they must be forced to, into starvation. Because by the way, this article is put in the context by the Australian uh, of the New Start push. Like they literally say, amid the debate over raising the New Start allowance. Mm. Now, at the start of the article, they say there's thousands of businesses that are facing this problem, and yet they found two very unsympathetic examples. <laughs> Uh, who are also both from industries that are, I think, quite famous for uh, not paying enough. Uh, like the uh, the hospitality industry, which has a massive you know wage theft problem. Not saying that this is happening in Eliza Food and Wine. And you know, the plumbing industry, where people are generally on very, very, very low rates. Uh, and also they're complaining about the lack of training, which is... I mean, may, maybe uh, the fact that Newstart won't actually support people while they do proper training because they want them to be out there applying for shitty jobs that, they, that they're overqualified for uh, and, and those employers won't hire them. They'd rather they be doing that than actually training. And then, then there's a problem with the lack of trained uh, applicants for jobs. It's almost like the Libs' whole anti-people-on-Newstart approach is causing the problem that they're then complaining about. Mm. And I, and I like this one here. This person from Ascent Rehabilitation uh, told the Oz uh, they'd seen a trend, quote, with some new graduates where they have, quote, an elevated or exaggerated expectation of their immediate value because they're aware of their worth in comparison with the public system. Wait, they have an elevated or exaggerated expectation of their value because they're aware of their worth? That It seems like they understand their value, actually. Hmm, that's strange. Anyway, so that's the most recent drop that the... Because um, it's Michaelia Cash again. Who's, who's dropped this? And her, her conclusion from this uh, this research, uh, which we don't get to see in any detail. So they say that um, almost one in two employers was finding it difficult to hire workers with prospective employees expressing a quote lack of interest, not being interested in quote the occupational work conditions, and presenting with inadequate qualifications. That just on the face of it, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right that one in two employers is having a problem where they're trying to hire people and the people who are applying for the jobs are saying, I'm not interested. I guess that's, that is an odd thing. So, like, I apply for the job and I'm just like, yeah, not interested. What? You're right. That makes little to no sense. What? And also, the, the way that the article's fudged it, being one in two employers and they've put all of those three things in, in one lot, hmm. like prospective employees expressing a lack of interest, which makes no sense, not being interested in the occupational work conditions, which also makes no sense, and presenting with inadequate qualifications, which does make sense given the rest of the article, but is not a problem of people being job snobs. It's a problem of the employers demanding experience and training, which people don't have. And in particular, that restaurant is like, we don't want to hire people that don't have the experience. They should just get the experience somewhere else with some other employer that, that, that doesn't mind hiring people without experience. Like, okay. But they've lumped all three of those things together as if they're without any breakdown. I'm willing to bet they're almost all the second, the, the, that last one about the training and experience, and it's just employers being assholes who don't want to give training or experience. They just expect that to happen for free. Mm. Yeah. And then not pay people like a salary that matches that, the, the cost of them acquiring that training or experience. Exactly. Weird that, isn't mm. it? So, as I said, that was the, sec- that was the second thing from Akali Kashu in relation to this one says... Um, because she put it in there about the new start thing. So she's they've dropped this research and they've said, the research uh, shows, quote, there are jobs out there for those who want them. And her aim is to get, quote, every Australian who is willing and able into a job. 
Uh, the research, that, as described in the rest of that article, does not show that there are jobs out there for those who want them. Mm. Like, clearly from the bits we've quoted, it shows the opposite. Um, but the other thing that they tried dropping earlier this week was the, the thing which Sunrise then on Channel 7 beat up into this. Have you heard any of this audio? I haven't actually heard it. I just saw the response. Uh, I've grabbed it. Let me play it for you. New this morning, welfare cheats. The jaw-dropping number of people rotting the system. Shirking work, not turning up for jobs, or simply sabotaging their interviews. Losing the dole as punishment, not just once, but again and again and again. So after that intro, okay, keep in mind we've just had, they're rotting the system. Yep, welfare cheats. That's right, they're cheats, they're refusing to, they're sabotaging themselves. So what's the evidence for that? Well... Here is the newsreader, who is about to use an incredibly obnoxious term for which she has later apologised. I'll play the apology later. As a piece of news, uh, and in an interview where they, I would argue, do not in any way justify that intro. Good morning, everyone. New figures have been released showing just how many dole bludgers are trying to take advantage of the welfare system. Political reporter Olivia Leeming is in Canberra. Olivia, an alarming number of people on Newstart are being penalised. Good morning, Nat. Yes, these figures have been released by the government to try and kill off some of the momentum that's been building to lift the New Start allowance. Their figures suggest that nearly 80% of Australians on New Start have had their payments suspended at least once, and a minority, about 61,000 people, have received more than 10 suspensions each, which are issued if they don't meet their job obligations, like doing a job search, acting on a referral, attending interviews, and the government is using this data to to argue that New Start should not be lifted, even though some of the government's own backbenchers are calling for the rate to be increased, along with former Liberal Prime Minister John Howard, as well as business groups and key economists who say that an increase would in fact be good for the economy. It would boost spending and lift economic growth. And we know the largest proportion of people who are on New Start are aged over 55. Many struggle to re-enter the workforce, Nat. So that hasn't backed up those initial claims at all. It's really demonstrated to me is that it's an incredibly punitive system that punishes people for minor transgressions or, in fact, not even transgressions, like where they've got no control over them, like... Well, you know, being, being sick, running late because, you know, maybe the tram has broken down. There were a lot of um, heartbreaking examples that were raised on Twitter of, you know, someone who was, went into a coma <laughs> and was cut off. Well, you've also you've also pointed out to before that uh, people where they they go to the appointment that the job provider has told them to go to, and the job provider's written down a different date and different address or something, and they're like, "No, you didn't show it up to the right one." Like they make these cock ups all the time, and the consequence to the job network person is nothing, and the consequence to the person on new study is starved to death. And can I play you the completely disingenuous attitude of Michaela Cash in relation to that, and and ha- like where she's like, "No, those." are probably real problems, but uh, they're easily solved. Let me let me play that. Mm-hmm. Employment Minister Michaelia Cash joins me live from Canberra. Um, Minister, thanks for joining us. How long do these payment suspensions usually last and how much do they lose out on financially? So in terms of a payment suspension, as soon as the uh, job seeker re-engages, which is often uh, later on that day or the following day, the payment suspension is lifted. And what these statistics show is the importance of mutual obligation. The majority of people, David, are actually doing the right thing. Uh, Sometimes Mm. in life, 
you will miss an appointment. What the system is now designed to do is to ensure that in the circumstances that you do, you are able to re-engage with your job active provider to ensure that the suspension is waived. Yeah. Because uh, uh, the, the figure, the raw figures by themselves are pretty yeah. startling and people would immediately go, oh, we're a nation of gold bludgers. But only yeah. 2% who have received financial penalties actually re repeat offend. 90, and that's exactly 98% right. get back looking for work and Absolutely. it's fine. And they, they may have missed it because they may have had a casual shift somewhere yeah. and they needed the money. And as you say, they'll get put back on later Absolutely. that day. Absolutely. So, David, the whole new system that the Coalition designed is very much focused on ensuring that we are working with right. you, your individual circumstances, so that you are able to be actively out there looking for work. The majority of people on New Start, uh, they actually move through the system and exit that payment within about 12 months. What these statistics do okay. show is that there is a small cohort of people uh, who are flat out in the system, but again, this new system, it is designed to deal with them. Okay, there's too much bullshit there to unpack in. We've got, let, let's let's go back, break it down. First of all, uh, the 80% figure, where they're like, 80% of people are, are, are being cut off and therefore there's, it's a nation of doll budgers. They, look how quickly they admit that that is bullshit. Yeah. That that is, and, and McKay's they're like, it's a very small proportion who are, who are the, who are the bad people. Like, you were just immediately to go, like the whole headline here, the whole thing you were running was 80%. A nation like, of welfare cheats. Like, and then for Koshi to be like, well, you know, you know it, there are good reasons for these things. And, you know, that, that, it's only a very, you know, it's only very minor things. And what, what the hell was all the earlier stuff you were saying then, you bullshit artist? Mm. Like, you, if you know it's, he says that without any, without any sense of, oh, wait, this contradicts all my earlier shit. It's just un, unbelievably shameless. And Michaelia Cash being like, People can just contact Centrelink and get the payment restarted, and and nobody calls her on it. Nobody's like, uh, "Hang on, Minister, have you tried calling calling Centrelink?" Centrelink? <laughs> like, has anybody doing these stories? Like, they never have somebody like Jeremy Poxon on. They never have somebody who who's directly affected to speak. And when they, I haven't bothered playing, and I'm not going to play the the back and forth they had with some radio hosts, where the the one person who's been critical of this is, but their only criticism is, well, why are we only hearing about it now? It's because it's to attack Newstart, isn't it? It's, it's like it's to to counter this political push, and uh, you know that's uh, that's what this is about, and it's very cynical, and we should be very wary about it. Like, yes, of course it is, but that's not the pro That's not the issue. The issue is that the whole beat up is a lie, and has nothing to do with whether Newstart should be raised or not. It's just fundamentally... The only point of this was that headline bit. That bit of saying, doll bludgers are bad and don't want to work. Same mm. as the Australians thing about job snobs. The entire point of it is to play to people as they're rushing around the kitchen in the morning, as they, as they open their terrible Australian newspaper rant on the, on the train. The whole point of it is that headline, which is like, people who receive news start are bad people who are, ro are robbing you blind, don't care about them. The, um, they deserve what they get. The, the whole thing reminded me of the Dole Army. Do you remember that? This was uh, in the late 90s. There was this group called the Dole Army who were uh, rotting Centrelink. They were teaching people how to uh, cheat on the Dole and they lived in the drains beneath Melbourne. So this was a current affair and Today Tonight both did stories on this group on the same night. And then, then the next day... You know, so this was a group who were li living under underground, literally underground, cheating the Dole. And the next the next day they came out and said 
these a current affair in today tonight was so keen to believe anything bad about the unemployed that they published stories about people living beneath the streets cheating the doll that's how desperate they were like obviously this we are not doing this <laughs> they're mole people yeah. In fact, they're, they're actually unemployed people are radioactive and they're uh, coming to uh, infect your children with their radioactive superpowers. Yeah. It's just so shameless. In fact, I'm going to drop in here um, this audio from this week where Laura Tingle was questioning Stuart Robert about some of the more egregious recent robodet harassment that's been going out to people who dared ever use Centrelink, which again, one of the reasons why we have the robodet thing, um, which is, of course, a, a staggeringly blunt and inaccurate object that's designed. They, they don't send out a, a letter which tells you this is how we've calculated your debt. They send out a letter saying, you owe us this much money, ring through and, and deal with it. Find this evidence from six, seven months ago, um, even if you're dead, which is the, the more recent one that they were being told off for. But again, like it's harassed people so the point that other people hear about it and they're like, shit, I, I really don't want to deal with Centrelink. I won't, won't apply for the payments to which I'm entitled. I don't want to ever deal with this in six years. I don't want them coming out. I don't want to deal with this harassment. Like part of it is a warning to people, don't you dare deal with us. And the other part is, um, you know, red meat to the to the people who ha- they've been taught to hate the unemployed. Be like, yeah, we're squeezing money out of the, the very poor. Don't worry, we're making them suffer for you. But yeah, so he, here's the audio of Stuart Robert being like, yeah, you can just call Centrelink. It would simply encourage people contact the department. On any discrepancy notice you receive, there'll be a phone number on it uh, or another way to contact the department. We'd really encourage Australians to do that. So Laura then asks him about the options of going into the Centrelink office and he's like, no, no, they can do that. And then she's like, yeah, but then they make them call the line anyway. But what Laura doesn't know, apparently, because she doesn't call him on it when he keeps on saying, yeah, call the line, call the line, call the line, just call us. Again, uh, like Kosh, these people have no idea to call them out and say that you can't actually get through. Yeah. The Centrelink's dropping a ridiculous number of calls. Like, what is it, a million calls every... They are dropping a lot of calls. Uh, and it, the weights are ridiculous. Like, if you're sitting there on a prepaid mobile phone, where you, you, you can't get through before your, your money runs out. It's, it's ridiculous. The, the Centrelink system is set up so that it's really hard. They keep cu- sacking the, the um, workers that were answering the lines... And the queue times have just increased to a point where it's not even sustainable to get through. I think the thing is, though, it's I don't think it's fair that they don't know this stuff because it's well known. It's a well known problem. I didn't say it's fair. It's just like how much of an example of how out of touch the people that we rely on to hold the policies to account is that they don't know to call them on this. Yeah. And, and the obvious answer is for the people who are in the media class who are, who are investigating these stories is to actually talk to the people affected because it wouldn't have taken more than five minutes for somebody to have pointed out to them, you can't get through. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, even besides that, the data about this is out there. It's been well reported. I'm, I don't think they need to speak to anyone to know this. this is, it's one of the... F- if you looked up Centrelink phone number, it's probably one of the first things that comes up, probably before the phone number. It's just so depressing. There's no, I don't think there's an excuse for being this out Oh, of no, it's appalling. Um, but, but as a backup, if you are... It, what you could do, because people are human beings and they miss things, um, when you're doing a story like this, talk to the people affected. Yeah. Just ask them, like, why can't you do this? And they would have said to you, because if you sit ring Centrelink, you're on hold forever and you never get through. But I think fundamentally, the whole 
line that the conservatives have been running in relation to this and let me let me throw it to you cam as a as a thing i, I think that the analogy is musical chairs and i think that you see this in relation to the this is one of the defining aspects of the conservative mindset um they think that if you do if, if the kids are playing musical chairs uh and there are 10 kids and five chairs they think that the uh, kids who get the chairs the five kids who get the chairs are the ones who deserve it who worked hardest for it and the five kids who miss out, it's their own fault, and they should be fed to crocodiles. Metaphorically, or, or literally, because um, fundamentally in relation to the New Start stuff, their attitude is, yeah, but, you know, sure, there's, you know, only you know, 100,000 jobs for 800,000 um, people seeking full-time work, but... Yeah, well, I think, I think it's actually a lot worse if you count people who are, like, only partially employed but are looking for more work. It's more like 17 jobs per person. Well, and that's the other thing. Looking that, for work. They, they are constantly acting like the people who receive New Start aren't working at all but quite a few people are doing the work that they can and and new studies there to supplement it because it's not enough to live on but anyway yeah no so but isn't that fundamentally a defining characteristic of the, of the conservative mind that if i can do it if, if you can scramble if you can step on the other people's heads to get ahead yourself then they deserve what happens to them and the only you know as if we could have a nation where everybody scrambles on everybody else's heads and everybody manages to get onto those remaining chairs like it's not impossible. There are not enough chairs. They, that five, those five people, like who those five people are, might vary. Like the whole thing where they're like, um, all these there are all these jobs out there that that you could apply for, and all you've got to do is you know undercut, offer to take the job for less money, uh, you know, do something to push yourself ahead of the other applicants. Yeah, but the other applicants are still missing out. Like, mm. um, you, you've got. <laughs> It's their, their individual mindset is one of, of not giving a shit about the people that their entire privilege is based on and, and relies on. It's like, you know, they're crawling out of the crocodile hit by, pit by standing on the heads of other people and being like, well, they deserve to be eaten by crocodiles. But you couldn't have got out there if there weren't those people to stand on. Like you are, they're, they're being eaten by the crocodiles is a necessary condition of you not being eaten by that crocodile. I think also it's a little bit like a game of musical chairs where they run... A chair rental business. <laughs> that. Have you noticed, like, it, this? it's not just... Like, I just think this is a thing that you could almost use as a predictor of a conservative mindset in relation to anything. So, so you know, like disaster films, where the hero is the person who's sensible enough to realise that, hey, I can get out of the city by driving my car along the shoulder. And that way, I get in front of all these... Look at all these cars banked up because they're driven by idiots who didn't get on the shoulder. And look at me escaping. Yeah, but if everybody did that... Then you wouldn't have been able to get along the shoulder. Like mm. you escaping along the shoulder relies on you being the asshole who fucks it up for everybody else. That whole mindset, and they think that that's you know that everybody needs to have the the drive to go out and fuck over their fellow person. Yeah, like the other people that are fuck. Like they are always the one who's going to be the fu- doing the fucking over. They think they will never be the fuck over e, and the fuck over es deserve what they get. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a fucked way of looking at the world, and if if it was followed by everyone the world would be somehow even worse than it is today. Well, that'd be interesting. So after the Sunrise Doll Budget bit, there was a bit of a pushback on like a, a supposed news organisation using such a an incredibly pejorative term, particularly when there was... They're like, they did, if they had evidence of people, you know, deliberately flouting the things, doing the stuff that they said, then even then it would have been an obnoxious term for them to be using because it's still a feral way to attack people who are unprivileged and you don't haven't considered their circumstances um 
you haven't considered like there are many reasons there are many things people might be doing uh to try and improve their ways of getting back into the workforce or in fact they may simply be too old nobody nobody will give them a job like there's lots of things doesn't make you a bludger in fact what, what bludger is according to the sydney morning herald today it's something like bludger comes from the convicts it's a term for a, a pimp who will bludgeon their um workers clients or something and that's where the bludge comes from the bludgeon bit comes from supposedly well, that sounds quite productive <laughs> So it's a feral term. Anyway, I don't know how accurate that etymology is. But anyway, um, Sunrise did do this disingenuous apology afterwards. Now, a word on a story we brought you in yesterday's news. We used the term doll bludgers early in the show when referring to those who've had their new start payments suspended. That may have misled some viewers. As we clarified in subsequent bulletins yesterday... And in our live interview with the minister responsible, Michaelia Cash, there are many welfare recipients whose payments are suspended for reasons other than doing the wrong thing. It was a poor choice of words, and we are sorry about that. Hmm. Uh, by the way, they repeated that doll bludger slur many times in that bulletin, and I could I could play you the series. Like they kept repeating the slur. And it's not, how is that an accident? How did you not know when you started doing it? And after the first time, like, Natalie Barr thinks she's a journalist. Yeah. Even if she read it the first time at five in the morning or whatever time the first time came up and she just read what was in front of her, she did it again. She kept doing it. Like, at no point it occurred to her to say, hang on, this is feral. Why are we doing this dumb propaganda for the government to attack people on Newstart? I think probably the issue was that they've been doing this for 20, 30 years and they didn't expect that today was the day that people would arc up about it. <laughs> it's almost, in which case, I, they can get stuffed. And secondly, they didn't read the room very well. Like, clearly, the point of why we're finally talking about this after 20 years is that there is some momentum and people are going, yeah, you know what? Actually, we should have a safety net. Hmm. And starving people to death to the point where um, even if you're... Uh, <laughs> Even if you're one, a lunatic conservative who's determined for them to be, uh, everybody to, who's currently unemployed to be employed, as if that would be possible. And I don't think the people who are pushing for that really do want everybody to be employed because um, they quite like there being a collection of starving people who will fight for the work. And if you had full employment, then wages would go significantly high, which they don't want. But even if you, your attitude is you, you want all these people to be working in jobs because you've, you've been trained to resent them, like the, it's gradually sinking into people's minds that the payment is so low that it actually inhibits that. Mm. Um, anyway, so they can get stuff with that. But did you notice that that apology was there? Was it about um, that the story didn't back up the term? It wasn't actually an apology for using the term generally. It was just that, yeah, okay, well, on this occasion, we didn't have any evidence that could even, like, even vaguely justify the slur. Yeah, but we're sure the, we're sure those examples are out there. We will keep looking until we find someone we can call a doll bludger. Um, which is weird because if you listen to this take from Bronwyn Bishop, you'd think that Sunrise had to back down because of political correctness got mad. It's very simple. that The term doll bludger applies to those people who don't meet their mutual obligation. But let's understand that good old socialists, they've got a much better idea. You remember George Bernard Shaw said that everybody should have to account for their usefulness to the state and ability to work. 
at various times in their life. And if they couldn't justify their existence, they should be eliminated. Right. And someone should invent a nice gas so it could be done kindly. Well, Where are you going with then this we story? had National Socialists, going? and we had the International Socialists with uh, Russia, and of course the uh, the Chinese uh, knew how to eliminate people, and they didn't know them better than anybody else. So, I think uh, we've got a fairly uh, benign system here, and I think a doll bludger can easily be called just that when it means you've breached your mutual obligation. Then, Jesus, uh, <laughs> right. Bronwyn Bishop, who, who uh, if somebody cuts her off at the lights, she screams at them, bloody socialist. Um, did you notice in there the, the bit where she was suggesting the Nazis were socialists? So she did the National Socialist Thing. I, I, I did notice that. Um, well, George Bernard Shaw thing's a bit weird too, because Bernard Shaw was um, an odd fellow who was all over the place in his political ideology. And calling him a socialist and, and pretending that like his representative of socialists is a bit of a bit of a long bow, given all the other stuff he said. And the, well, he was a eugenicist. He was, a, he was a person who was, he was in favour of eugenics. Mm. So to suggest... Like, so, so in Bronwyn Bishop's mind, somehow she's got the socialists, and, and that's everybody to the left of me, mm. the socialists want to kill the poor, they want to kill the unemployed, they want to gas them. And so the fact that, the, the fact that we don't gas them means they should be grateful that all we're doing is calling them bludgers... And starving them to death. So, yes, there is the, hey, as long as we're not gassing them, they should be grateful. But also, let me just try and pass in her head. Wait, she thinks that the, that the lefties are socialists. Like, she's made that very clear. Lefties are socialists. But she thinks that the lefties want to kill the unemployed. But also the lefties are pushing to increase the payments for the unemployed. So we simultaneously want them to be having a, a wage that they can survive on so that we could kill them. Yeah, I feel like there was a bit of a tone in the voice. Was that on Sky? Yes, of course it was. Yeah, I felt like a detective did a little bit of a tone in the presenter's voice of, uh, should we still be having Bronwyn Bishop on? <laughs> well, I think they thought she was about to suggest gassing the poor. It's like, is she okay? <laughs> I'm not sure that she is. Did you see this morning that they have decided to stop uh, putting the Sky News audio? So, so that was actually a video that I was able to grab from Twitter because Sky... I'm not going to pay for Sky. No. And Sky was putting all of their stupid propaganda on Twitter, like in little excerpt videos, to spread it because they know that their actual audience is really small. And they hope for the, they hope that that they can have some influence by way of a other journalists following them and b bits of their content that they like being spread. And they chose to promote this bit of content. Like I didn't I didn't go to Sky to find it. It was a thing that they actually tweeted, the audio that they had compressed and put on their Twitter so that I could see it. Anyway, so this morning, according to the Oz, Sky has decided to pull. Uh, it will it will no longer post videos on Twitter. Uh, in a bid to monetize its content and stop the misuse of its journalism by anonymous accounts on the Bluebird platform. And the link here, uh, the, the reference here from them is, uh, let me read this to you. Um, I hope you're recording because um, you may explode with laughter. Twitter has been used by a range of online activists to attack Sky and its advertisers, cutting and creating fake news content from videos posted on the platform. <laughs> Um, so that that would be examples of them taking bits of their videos and like playing you know playing them over some t it'll be like that 
the footage of Stuart Robert on seven thirty that um, I think the the Commonwealth Public Sector, the Public Servants um, Union, the CPSU, whatever, whatever that breaks down for, um, they had it. They had that, and they were like contrasting his call centre link with how many jobs have been cut and what the wait times were. So it'll be stuff like that. Well, I think even just people sharing the content is problematic for them because they've come up, you know, they've been hit pretty hard, I think, by like Sleeping Giants and groups like that. Isn't that wonderful? Like Sleeping Giants, pay yourselves on the back. You have stopped Sky spreading this propaganda publicly. They are, but I mean, the, the pushback has cost them advertisers and they're like, shit, we really do need to keep our deranged content fully already converted. But yeah, I mean, these groups aren't doing anything to the content. They're just bringing it to a wider audience and it's made easier by the fact that Sky is, for whatever reason, I wouldn't personally, but putting it out themselves. Uh, if everything's just, you know, stuck on a very poorly watched TV channel, I think we'll hear a lot less controversies coming out of there, even if things are still uh, going in a very crazy direction. Uh, well, I mean, isn't, isn't that the thing? So, like, when when this sort of shit is underground... Um, Yes, there's you know, the problem of, of it sort of gets to fester and so forth, but it's when it's normalised and promoted into the into the mainstream, that's when it becomes really dangerous because it normalises those ideas and it promotes them to other people. And yes, Sleeping Giants managing to get Sky to basically shut it down and stop letting us look at it, and that pushback, that pushback that says no, this shit is not acceptable, and employ and advertisers going no, it's not acceptable. That's that's really important. I'm really glad that it's happened. Sky really was hoping that it could get away with having this extremist content without consequence promoted more more broadly. Like they could get away with using this propaganda. And what they've learned is, no, it's a step too far. Hmm. And they've had to sort of retreat back under their shell. Which, yes, it means, you know, hiding back under their rock. Sorry, is the metaphor I'm going for. But, you know, under that rock, they can, you know, all sorts of disgusting, feral things can happen. But it's much scarier when they get out from under the rock and start attacking the rest of us. So as long as they're under their rock, yeah, we can't you know, spray them completely. They're going to keep festering. But at least that kind of disgusting, um, crawly nonsense isn't something that, that we're, that's getting to spread beyond the rock anymore. Hmm. Bronwyn Bishop. Oh, what a, what a <laughs> just, I, I just I just love in her mind that somehow leftists both want to help the unemployed and kill them. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't occur to her that that makes no sense. Just madness. Anyway, so Scummo has declared that he will not rest until uh, everyone on Newstart is in work. And I want to commend all of those Australians who are on Newstart now who are looking for a job, and our government will not rest until we get all of them into jobs, Mr Member Speaker, for because that's, that's the pledge we made at the last election. He's apparently going to be working very hard now because... Uh, that's a promise for full employment. So good luck with that one, Scummo. Let's let's judge you on the on the uh, how how well you've managed to achieve that by the time you get kicked out of office. Because I'm guessing not well. I'm guessing you will be nowhere near full employment, and I'm guessing that you will have rested in the interim. Hmm. Hopefully. And of course, all this is premised on the idea that um, we shouldn't have to fund public services for the poor, funded by taxation on people who are wealthy, because the people who are wealthy work harder than the rest of us, and they deserve their good fortune here is in fact i'll play you both parts of this this is the uh opening question by anthony albanese to scott morrison and check out how piss weak and shit it is thank you uh, mr speaker my question is addressed to the prime minister the prime minister said that tax cuts would be legislated before the first of july he said that the member for durack would remain environment minister 
and he said that the government would create a National Integrity Commission. Were any of those commitments true? So that piss week question just gave Scummer an opportunity to talk about tax cuts as if they're a good thing. Uh, and he came out with this. Tax relief to Australians out into the future as well, Mr Speaker, for Australians. So the harder they work, the more they earn, the more they keep of what they earn, Mr Speaker. So the whole fiction that their entire tax cut policy and, in fact, their entire economic policy is built on is the idea that the people who have the most money are the people who have worked the hardest. Yeah. Famously, not the case. It's laughable, isn't it? Like, fundamentally, like, we all know that, you know, uh, a childcare worker, a nurse... Yeah, a primary school teacher, an ambo... Do not work less hard than a politician on 211,000. Do not work less hard than somebody who just owns stuff and gets a lot of profit out of it because they've inherited their wealth. Hmm. It is surely difficult for anyone to argue that the distribution of wealth in our society is due to merit and hard work and that, that the people who have the most work the hardest. Like, hmm. c- could anybody seriously maintain that argument for more than 30 seconds without making themselves look like a right twit? No, you can only do it through dissembling and dishonesty, which, which they do. This is how they talk. And, and that's his whole argument. How is it that Labor can't argue against that stupidity? How is it that Labor can't stand up when Scummo says shit like that? In fact, before they waved through the tax cuts... How is it they can't stand up and say, we're well aware that financial reward doesn't follow merit and we, the Labor Party, recognise that people on much lower salaries than even the average wage are working very hard Hmm. and they're not financially rewarded from it. And in fact, it is not unfair that people on higher incomes pay more tax. It is a fundamental feature of our society to try and, in some way, redress the balance from the fact that hard work does not result in an equitable distribution of resources at all. No. Uh, like, this idea that the, that the rich should pay more tax is more to do with the fact that the rich shouldn't have had that much wealth in the first place. If it was an equitable division of the resources, if, if, you know, if work was rewarded fairly, they wouldn't have that vast wealth in the first place. Hmm. Like, the idea that progressive taxation is unfair, no. No. It's redressing the unfairness. Even, but not even fully. Like it's just a mild attempt to a certain minor extent redress some of that unfairness. It's just astonishing. How how is it that they can't push back against that? How is that just now accepted as the as, as the default wisdom of the Australian political class, the Australian community? That that's that, that we're just going to accept that thing that clearly nobody with any brain believes in the first place. Can't be explained it to me. I can't. I just can't. It's uh, just a disappointing feature of our society, I'm afraid. How have the people who are... You know, you know the people who... The working class people who resent the unemployed, who people like Scummo are pitching their whole campaign at because they need to get their votes. How is it the people who are working full-time and know that they're getting an average salary or less, how is it that they're not going, hang on, that's bullshit. Why is that person entitled to more than me? And they'll be like, oh, because they, they did training. They, 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 um, that lawyer went to university for a couple of years and therefore for the rest of their life they should earn vastly more than you. Hmm. What? Like, that, that was a privilege to go in the first place. And I'm willing to bet you good money that even if lawyers and bricky labourers were paid the same amount of money, there would be plenty of people who would still pick to be the lawyer. Hmm. Like, you don't need... The, the, the amount of money that they're getting is not to do with their merit and the amount of value they add to the community, he says, as a lawyer who's on parental leave. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't know if what, uh, if, how hard you wanted me to agree with you there. <laughs> no, but my point is, like, 
physical labor and mental labor are both labor and it doesn't make any sense that we've simply decided I mean it does make sense because the people who set the rules are the people who are the ones privileging from it but it doesn't make any sense that the people who are working very hard and being screwed are the ones who are boosting it on the basis that I guess that the people up the top have kept them so close to the line that they're like well we certainly can't pay any more in taxes Mm. but the whole point is what they've just done in flattening the tax rates is that you are going to be paying the same amount of taxes as much richer people. Yeah. Like, they should be paying more, which would mean you could pay less. Yeah, I think it's just cowardice that uh, they're afraid that if they try to run, you know, the line that it should be fair, that people will say, well, I think it should be fair for, you know, the people above me should be paying more, but I I should be paying less. But the thing about the, the, the demographics of that... Uh, the reality is that a lot more people are paid a lot less than the people. Like, the numbers are in... Uh, it is... So, in terms of politics, the money is with the right. Yeah. The money is with the right-wing people. They have the money to um, have commercial media channels, to have their message out there, to, to do the Clive Palmer thing before the election. But, like, the money is definitely with the right. Mm. That's true. But the numbers, the the... Public numbers, the numbers of people who are better off with the left, vastly exceed the numbers that get better off with the right. Which is why the right has to resort to tricks like a you know, misleading people that we're talking about here, but also um, distract them with stuff like culture wars. Uh, you know, that the, the, oh, the, the, the gay people, or the trans people, or all this other stuff that, that these are somehow a threat to you, or or people of um, people from overseas immigrants are coming to take whatever you have. Like they have to play play the poor off against each other, and and they have the money to to get away with that. But if we're able to, if we on the left are better able to communicate with people who are clearly being screwed by the right, then like the numbers are on our side. Yeah, I think what I, what I mean is though the I think the Labor Party is afraid to go down that line because there's this perception that even people that should be on the left uh, think, well, one day when I'm rich, I don't want to get stung by this. I don't think that, that's. I think that's a perception that the Labor Party has. That, yeah, that, that, that we're like America, the, a nation of temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's true, though. I don't think it is. I think they're wrong. I think that you can see from the whole fundamentalist, this whole, you know, the the underdog, the, the Australians liking the underdog, the Australians having it. Like, we've got a different sense of, like, they run resentment about the elites. Like, the right runs resentment about the elites. And that is that is clearly fertile ground. Labor should be able to look at that and go, that is fertile ground. And it doesn't make any sense that the people, like, Alan Jones is whinging about elites. Like, fuck off. Um, and in fact, look, the, the one of the big issues they use in America to help uh, the, the um, working class vote against its own economic interests is abortion. And we saw this week, check out my segue. Oh, God damn, I drew attention to it again. Ah. Anyway, so obviously New South Wales is talking about finally decriminalising abortion. Um, in which, 2019. Yeah, <laughs> getting there in the end. Well, or, or not, because you'll say there's been this vicious campaign uh against the state Liberal government for daring to do this, um, including with the federal Liberals like um, Peter Dutton or federal Nationals like Barnaby Joyce, um, you know, a, a fine moral leader for our times, uh, coming out and bashing uh, any action in terms of improving uh, abortion rights for women, um, with, with deranged things like uh, talking about abortions happening of li- healthy babies just before birth, I, I defy Barnaby Joyce to name one time that that's happened in Australia. You know, in the last decade, find find one. Um, and what was it, Miranda Devine, who apparently they're now writing in the New York Post. Apparently she's pissed off overseas or something, but hmm. she's still writing in the Daily Telegraph. Anyway, um, their loss. Uh, 
but her one was what was she? She was I think it was like eighty thousand abortions a year or something, um, which is as I understand it like a two thousand three figure. But it's also not abortions because they do this thing. They do this fudge where they take um, what are called uh, DNC, so uh, dilatation and curatage um, operations, which is where they um, dilate the cervix and they surgically remove part of the uterus um, by scraping and scooping. And that is indeed one of the methods that they use for uh, first trimester abortions. Uh, but it is also an operation that is used for a lot of other purposes. For example, um, women who have PCOS, uh, they use it to remove um, problematic tissue in the uterus. There's, there's a bunch of medical reasons for DNCs that have nothing to do with abortion. Uh, and the anti-abortion lobby disingenuously, it's not disingenuously, flat out dishonestly, mm. pretends that every DNC is an abortion. And that's where they get their bullshit numbers from. <laughs> which is another fudge, like when they're talking about late-term abortion, which only ever happens in really extreme circumstances. Like nobody's nobody's going, oh, well, I'm about to give birth. I've, I've gestated this fetus for nine months and now no, I just don't want it. So yeah, it changed it, my mind. <laughs> that's n- when is that ever happening? Anyway, um, when there are late-term abortions, it's for, for usually for very drastic medical reasons. Something horrible has gone wrong. Hmm. And those wouldn't be DNCs. No. The DNC is, is only applicable in the first trimester. Like, Okay, there's two blokes here talking about abortion, um, which you know is only supposed to happen when they're politicians. So I'm sorry, but uh, it's it's just so shameless. And I don't know, Cam, do you think the right's going to be able to get up on on uh, like it's because they've already got the the fundamentalists on their side over over the um, anti-marriage equality stuff. It feels like there's not much fertile ground for them to grow that with the anti-abortion stuff. No, this seems like very late game culture war stuff that. It's 2019. They they can't win this one. I don't think. I certainly hope not. Like it's terrifying that in New. I I didn't like you. Don't realize it. You think that abortion is available in Australia. And you don't realize until you live in a state like New South Wales, particularly country New South Wales, when you realize that people are, or in fact, in Tasmania, where people have to fly to Melbourne because there's no clinics now. Like there's a thing where even when it's not technically, um, it's never prosecuted. That doesn't mean that it's available and accessible mm. as it needs to be. Which also means that it's delayed, and when it does happen, it's more severe. It has worse out, uh, outcomes for people. Like it's anyway depressing. Yeah, I mean, just to echo that that old line: if they actually thought that eighty thousand uh, babies were being murdered uh, every year, uh, surely the moral thing—that's, I mean, that's a genocide. Mm-hmm. The moral thing would be to take up arms and do something about it but they don't do that because it's not true well i I haven't yet heard their proposal for taking the fertilized embryos that are in ivf clinics that are there ready to be implanted at at a certain point i haven't heard their campaign to um liberate those uh those embryos uh and uh implant them in in a in a in a host Hmm. um because they're children apparently they're children. Yeah, they're children. They're babies. Uh, and uh, they're, they're cruelly being kept in, uh, in test tubes. So um, isn't it about time that they were forced into some, uh, some willing fundamentalist women who are prepared to liberate those babies? And, and they're, they're babies. They're babies, Cam. Mm. Except they don't believe that at all because it's bullshit. They're not babies. A baby is born. Like, it's nonsense. They, they are not consistent about it. No. Anyway, Cam, you're a man with a podcast about conspiracies. And I feel like this week, when we've learned what was happening at Crown and there have been calls for federal ICAC, you're the very man to take us through the developments in, in, in Australia, finally becoming a land in which these sorts of uh, outrageous conspiracies and uh, corruptions will be will be crushed, finally. That, that's what's going to happen. Well, I, 
I do a podcast about conspiracy theories. This is just a conspiracy. Oh, oh wait, your, your ones are deliberately not accurate. They're just, they're just, they're just silly and, and light-hearted. Like the moon landing. We had the moon landing the other day, and the commercial media running moon landing hoax stories. Like, yeah. good work, you nutbags. Sorry, we didn't have the moon landing the other day, unless the other day is defined as fifty years ago. But we had the anniversary, yes. Uh, yeah. So Crown Casino. Uh, you might be surprised to find that uh, links to organised crime. Money laundering, improper activity by consular officials, tampering with poker machines, and uh, even drug trafficking on Crown property. Drugs at Crown? Taking taking high rollers out to shoot wombats. Yeah, so there's been some of the more egregious things there that, uh, yeah, someone from Australian Border Force was actually providing security for someone who has like an active Interpol warrant. Oh my God. They're wanted by... Hang on. But at least... Okay, this there was a big expose on all this. Mm. So surely... The, you know, this was a sitting week of Parliament, so surely the, the Libs and the, and the Labor Party have come up and said, no, we're going to crack down on this. Uh, no, I think you'll find they haven't. They also... But the other thing was... Uh, apparently there was like a hotline for Crown to fast-track visas for Chinese gamblers. I, I kind of wish I hadn't cut in there with the... To find out before you said that, that the government's not doing anything about it. So hang on. Like, they're, they're almost in it up to their necks. Uh, and yet... Oh, okay, well, that does explain why they don't want to do anything about it, actually. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, and what was it, the Albo thing, where he's like, we don't even need a federal ICAT because I don't have any direct evidence of corruption happening? Yeah, Al- Albo, in just a classic Alboism, he said... He said, yeah, I've, in my, all my time in Parliament, I haven't seen any direct evidence of corruption. I think he's sort of walked that back a little bit today. Oh, okay. What's he said? And, and I think he's said, oh, you know, maybe there's a few things that a federal ICAT could look at. It's like, of course there are, Albo. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting that no one really wanted to follow up on this crown thing. I think the Greens tried to have a uh, parliamentary inquiry started. Yeah. That was opposed by both Labor and the Libs. Well... Um, that's a good reason not to vote for either of them, I guess. Like, that's really... Like, what's the consequence? There has to... If if they can just bury this and nothing happen, then either we're all okay with it or we should stop voting for them. Mm. That's appalling. It is. So, yeah, essentially it all basically boils down to that there are these junket operators who are people that bring big gamblers over from China where uh, gambling is illegal and... uh. There's a lot of money laundering happening. At a casino? Uh, uh, yeah, well, if you can believe it. and uh, but, but also these people aren't being vetted at all when they're being given visas, even though they, a lot of them do have links to organised crime. And yeah. so clearly their main... You know, maybe some of them do enjoy a punt, but I think it's more likely that a, a lot of them are involved in money laundering. And really, what, what's the reason why Border Force, why the government would be giving them these? Like, it, the casino can be as corrupt as they like, but the visa stuff, that requires corruption from government departments. Mm. Oh, the, the you mentioned the wombat shooting. So the one of these junket operators, I think it might be... Uh, no, actually, I can't remember if it's the guy that was wanted by Interval. One of these junket operators would bring people out to like some country town in Victoria to shoot wombats. And you're like, oh, how's the, that okay? Actually, it turns out it's illegal to shoot... It is legal <laughs> to shoot wombats in some towns in Victoria. Wait, what? Apparently. How? That, that's what I, I discovered this morning after seeing some very horrific footage that apparently it's legal to shoot puffins, even though they're endangered in Iceland, and English trophy hunters are flying over to Iceland and shooting adorable little puffins, and you've got these pictures of, like, rows of... Anyway, killing wombats is also bad. Apparently they're only protected in some areas. 
But uh, it was like, how is this going on that you've, you know, you've got this sort of dodgy operator operating in, in Victoria and it was like, oh, I need security staff for Victoria police members. We're, we're in his employ. How is that? Le- okay, I'm now, I now have to look up how it is that wombat shooting is legal in any places. Like, they're not a pest. No. They're, they're like, what? How is that a thing that is okay? Anyway, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I might be a true hacking hippie and I don't really like the idea of them shooting any animals, but um, I'm pretty sure that wombats aren't one of the types that there's any kind of argument. Mm. No, I don't think there is. They're just nice. So, Cam, Ginger uh, hosted with me last week and uh, I'd like to like to play for you what is stuck in his craw. I'll admit from the start, this is probably one of my most petty stuck in my craws to date, but there are calls, apparently, coming from unknown quarters for Tony Abbott former Prime Minister and former member for Warringah, to be memorialised with a statue reflecting his grand contributions to the electorate and the country. Now, that is ultimately the decision of Warringah Council and the people who decide how to spend that money. They can, as has also been suggested, name a park after him. They can do all sorts of things. That's fine. I don't care. But a statue seems a bridge too far. To steal a line from a Y song? Only those evil live to see their own likeness in stone. Which is basically a way of saying pretty much just fascists and dictators who end up with statues while they're alive and like Nick Cave. But there are very few people and it's a weird honour for a, I dare say not broadly beloved Prime Minister whose contribution to the discourse and to the electorate nationwide and in Warringah is unflattering to say the least. It seems a little bit much to rush to compliment him. Also, I just love the anonymity of these calls where it's like Warringah Council is calling for this. You know, they're talking about this proposal. I think we all know where that proposal's come from. Uh, and if it doesn't come addressed from a certain T. Abbott, uh, I'll be very surprised. I'll let him have his statue. <laughs> no, no, hang on. So th- having a statue implies that your public record has been um, sanitised, that the rough edges have been taken off it, and that we're, we've picked a positive line to summarise your prime ministership, and that's what we're going to go with. So it is definitely going to happen for Abbott because he's a prime minister, um, in the same way as... Uh, war criminal and monster John Howard, who has significantly harmed the lives of, of most Australians alive today. For example, one ongoing effect, uh, the giant hole that he cut in the budget, the other ongoing effect, uh, the uh, destruction in housing affordability. Those are all thanks to John Howard and Peter Costello, so thanks, dickheads. Anyway, he will still get his rough edges smoothed off and, and they'll find some positive way to remember him and he'll get his statues. But the problem is that he's still active politically. He still comes out there. We still see him in the paper arguing shit. And we still see, like, they've got, the point about the statues is time has to pass so that the people who remember the horrible shit you did have kind of been bludgeoned into forgetfulness by all the horrible shit that's happened afterwards. Tony Abbott only just lost his seat, like, two months ago. He was still in Parliament in, in, well, whenever they last sat before the election, I've forgotten when that was, but whenever that was before the election, he was sitting in Parliament arguing his shit, like... He just had an election campaign where he was defeated, where people just voted him out. No, no, no. Um, he doesn't deserve uh, the dignity that he would get by having statues up for him already, particularly while he's still politically active. Like, part of the point of waiting till people die is that they can't then use that um, the, the, the dignity that they gain by virtue of that memory, that m- memorial to them. They can't use that to cause harm to the rest of us because they're dead. You don't give that to people who are alive because they will use it against us. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just saying it's easier to egg a statue than like a whole park. 
I don't want them to do anything for Abbott at the moment. But look, um, it's, it's look. You can. It's like people can find Margaret Thatcher's grave to piss on it, but that doesn't mean that we need to have statues for her before she's dead. I'm. I'm maybe that's the thing. Maybe you don't get a statue until it's a choice between the statue and the grave for people to decide what they're going to piss on. Yeah. Abbott. No. No. Blanket rule. Not for people who are alive. Wait till they did. All right. And in the case of Abbott, hopefully a long time after he's dead, because it should take a while before we forget one of the worst prime ministers that we've ever had. Although, then that said, Scummo is working really hard to make us forget how bad Abbott was. It is true that simply by contrast with Scummo, Abbott is feeling less less like the worst prime minister we've ever had, um, which means that it's even more terrifying that somehow Scummo is going to seem like not the worst prime minister we ever had if we ever get Prime Minister Peter fucking Dutton. Mm. Come on, Australia, stop letting these bastards do this. All right, I'm going to play one last bit of audio. This one's from the Tasmanian Parliament this week, in which I, I feel like the Speaker, Liberal National Speaker Suki, I feel like perhaps her criticism is a little bit problematic. Who need better well, mental health services? In the who might got benefit that in from April. the ideas of, uh, of members of parliament from whatever perspective? But this I can say once again, you know it's it. come up a big flat zero when it comes to good ideas from the Labor Party. Will I welcome them? I look forward April, to continuing the discussion with the member for Clark. Miss, Miss O'Byrne, it's very unladylike to be yelling in the parliament. Point of order, Madam Speaker. Yes, Madam. If you could give me the call, one of us needs to be sitting down, Madam Speaker. Well, I suggest it be you because you're in a, I don't like the um, temperament or the attitude. So you're on warning number one. Thank you. Well, very unladylike. <laughs> if you'll excuse me while, I, while my monocle drops out. If, unladylike. Hmm. I, I don't like your attitude. No, <laughs> all the temperaments. Do you know what, though? If they, if they don't just li- don't limit it to unladylike, if we have ungentlemanlike as criticism being put um, of the parliamentarians, the male parliamentarians who spend a lot of time shouting over each other, that would be, um, I mean, that might be worthwhile. Hmm. Uh, Ex- ex- sir, sir, excuse me. I, I feel like you're you are behaving in a boorish manner, and I will thank you. To no, you know what? I actually don't want to see Parliament get any more snobby and stuck up either. So you know what? Um, they can they can shut them up the old fashioned way. No, oh, or just you know turning off their mics. Yes. All right. Thank you, Cam, so much for coming back on the podcast in this light-hearted, uh, cheerful week of, of things going well. Um, it's been a pleasure, sort of. <laughs> to be just reminded of how terrible everything is again but by giving it a name we have compartmentalized the horror and sort of limited its power don't you feel no 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 it's still, no. It's still all yeah. just as bad it's all out there yeah. so this is this was not therapeutic we didn't achieve anything and we're all just more slightly more miserable than at the beginning mm. i'm really not advertising the podcast very well with that am i no um <laughs> Let's pretend that as a result of having this discussion, we all feel motivated to fight against the bad stuff. And we feel like our thoughts have been slightly more sort of uh, consolidated and and our outrage directed in a constructive fashion. Yes, we we can actually do that. We don't have to just think it. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, there is something positive to be said for it after all. Somebody did say say to Twitter, at well may we say on Twitter this week, somebody asked us how how we would feel about if Australian politics became... uh, tolerable to the extent that the podcast was no longer required to which i responded that would be great <laughs> would be more than happy the countless other things i'd be perfectly happy podcasting about other than this this shitful world that we have to fight against but you know while it's like this we do have to fight against it so yeah that's why we're here thank you for coming back people can find you at your uh 
Conspiracy Mocking Podcast. Yes, the Hypothetical Institute, available wherever you get your your pods. And, and also the one you do with Ben. Yes, Gather Around Me. It's on, on iTunes and all of those things. Thank you, everyone, for coming back to the podcast. Thank you for to our Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast keeps going. If you are, in fact, a Patreon subscriber and uh, have some specific things that you would like us to um, do in relation to our gratitude, to demonstrate our gratitude for your support of the podcast, um, do, do let us know. Uh, otherwise, um, thank you to everybody who discusses the episodes with us on at what may we say on the Twitters. Thank you, Robin Gray for the music, Alex Lum for the artwork. Thank you, Cam, once again for coming back. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.